2: Hey everyone, welcome to Round Ball Stew. I am Matt Straup. It is Friday, September 24th, and today we're going to be answering some key fantasy questions from the Southeast Division. We will discuss our expectations for LaMelo Ball, Bradley Beal, some young Orlando Magic Big Men, plus the Atlanta Hawks shooting guards and small forwards, and much more all coming up in just a second. As we welcome in everyone listening on the podcast and watching live with us on YouTube, I'm joined by Ryan Knauss and Raphael Johnson. Guys, Steve Alexander has hopped in his car. I want you to picture the car from National Lampoon's Vacation. Steve has climbed into it. He's driven 15 hours to Wisconsin to watch the Ryder Cup. My theory is he was under the impression that he was going there to watch Golden tea, to play Golden Tee, but I'm sure that once he gets over that disappointment, he will be happy to watch some real golf. Uh, so I hope that Steve is enjoying it. Were you guys both aware that Steve had done this? I was because I, I spoke
0: to him during his trip when he had just had to stop for two hours to get his brakes worked on. Right. Uh, and then he had, had 45 minutes slow down due to an accident on the highway. And then he, had, uh, he hit a pothole in the highway and his uh, alignment was off while, we were, while he was talking to me. His car was pulling left. I'm like, Steve, maybe you need to pull over, take a nap. You're on hour 12 of this journey. It's okay <laughs> to, to concede.
2: But uh, he, he made it there. That's, that's all I know. Yeah, he said he made the decision to leave at midnight Wednesday. Uh, he gave me an update this morning. Left at 5.45 a.m., got here at 10.30 p.m. It was brutal. He referenced some of those things that you uh, you mentioned. Turns out, yeah. Raph, I, uh, a 15-hour car drive is actually not
1: fun. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound very fun at all. I didn't know that he was doing it until it was mentioned in the email. I think Ryan mentioned it and yeah. he asked for topics for today's podcast. But yeah, at least he's there and he's safe.
0: As, as Steve said, the the journey home may be the really difficult leg of this when he's running on three hours combined
2: sleep and trying to make another right.
0: 15 hour journey home in a car that presumably hasn't gotten any safer.
2: Yes, yes, no doubt it's, it's like one of the like a 15 hour drive is one of those things that your your brain forgets how <laughs> truly awful it is. like if you haven't done it in several years, you' yeah. like I can do that. yeah, it'll be fine. And then you do it and you're like, oh my God. Uh, this is truly the worst thing I could possibly be doing. I can't believe I fell for this trap again. That's what happens to right. me, but the, never again.
0: Well, the the third straight time you're stopping at Wendy's to try to like caffeinate with a Dr. Pepper, you realize,
2: oh, I've made a bad decision. Right. <clears throat> All right. Well, we have five teams to hit in the Southeast Division today. If you haven't checked out our Atlantic and Central Division previews, we did those the last two Fridays, so check them out. Uh, we begin, though, today with the Southeast Division champs, the Atlanta Hawks. Ryan, when we were talking offline about this episode, you said you wanted to hear my thoughts on the crowded shooting guard, small forward setup for the Hawks. You know, guys like Bogdan Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and Kevin Herter. I will quickly say, before I throw to you guys, putting my own personal feelings about Cam Reddish aside, the man whose jersey flies behind me, I do think this is actually kind of clear, assuming everyone's healthy. I mean... If DeAndre Hunter is healthy coming off, not one, but two meniscus surgeries last year, your starting five will be, I think, Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella with Kevin Herter and Cam Reddish, possibly the first two options off the bench, but DeLon Wright right in that mix as well. And uh, yeah, I think those other guys, Herter and Hunt, uh, Herter and Reddish are going to have to kind of scrap for deep league fantasy value. Uh, Raph, what's your outlook on this one?
1: I like Bogdanovich. I think he had a good season last year uh, when he was healthy. Good percentages. I think the one thing, I wouldn't expect him to shoot about 91% from the foul line. And even that percentage comes with a bit of a caveat that he averages one attempt per game. So, right. He's a good shooter, but if that goes up in terms of the attempts per game, I expect him to be back down in the 80s, which is fine. You know, So I think with the three-point shooting, and I also like the fact he gave you a little over one steal per game last season. I think that's the big reason why I'm so high on him fantasy-wise. Is he a lockdown defender? No, but you don't really have to be in fantasy basketball. So I'd say Bogdanovich won and Hunter right behind him just because of the potential of what he can give you, so long as he stays healthy. And after that, I like Herder over Reddish. I know people are high on Reddish, but I've always liked Herder and what he can give you across the board especially if you're in a category league. I think Herder is a better option than reddish personal.
0: So are you guys my, you know, we did talk about this in the position battle pod, uh, but that was weeks ago. And again, Matt wasn't there. So I wanted to hear his thoughts. <laughs> Would you be drafting? Because my, my problem was trying to project the minutes for every rotation in the league. I got really really hung up on the Hawks, uh, one through three. Because you're right. I mean, you add DeLon, right? That's a complicating factor. Maybe they find a handful of minutes for Sharif Cooper over the course of the season. Uh, Lou Williams is going to need minutes. Is he down to 15 per game? That's the only realistic mm-hmm. way I can see for Kevin Herder, uh, and even Cam Reddish to get there. So... There's just so many bodies here. So beyond that, Bogdan and Hunter, we know that they'll be drafted. Do you, in a 12-team, let's say 8-cat league, would you draft Herder and Reddish, or are you more just kind of wait and
1: see? I would draft Herder personally.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I do think Herder is... Probably gonna get enough minutes to be like low end fantasy relevant. I think Reddish has that tantalizing upside where he he in theory could be a guy who gets you enough steals and threes to to make an impact in a deeper fantasy league. But I do think it makes sense in terms of guaranteed role to draft Herter ahead of Reddish. And was there another part of that question? Oh, as for Lou Williams, I mean I feel like my sense of what his role is gonna be is like, yeah, 12 minutes off the bench, and if he's hot on a given night the one out of five games he's just piping hot he'll get more minutes and maybe close the game and play like 25 minutes
0: okay I have him at 14 minutes and it felt I was like is that too low but it sounds like you're you're you
2: can get behind that yeah and as for Bogdanovich and Hunter I do think it's interesting have been doing some fantasy drafts this week I think people seem based on those drafts that I've been doing people seem eager to grab Bogdanovich in the middle round so if you want him it seems like you're gonna have to be a little bit aggressive on him as for Hunter though he's falling kind of late I think just due to those health concerns but he has the potential to be a pretty serious steal in fantasy drafts because of that just pointing people to his first 17 games before he got hurt because when he came back that put a dent in his numbers so when you're looking at his season numbers from last year they don't look as good as they could he didn't play a lot of games but those first 17 games before injured he was sitting on almost 18 points per game, 5.6 boards, 2.3 dimes, 0.9 steals, half a block, and 1.83s with great percentages, nearly 52 from the field and 88 from the line. So, and again, this is a guy who made a, a pretty big leap from year one to year two. If healthy, I think Hunter is a tremendous swing to take later in your draft. Yeah,
0: agreed. And I think regardless of the Hawks' desire to win now and make a strong playoff push and so forth, Hunter is that two-way guy who fits both needs, right? You can give him minutes to develop him and win now. Cam Reddish maybe doesn't quite fit that mold as well, right? I feel like if he was on a team without strong postseason ambitions, maybe they just feed him 30 minutes a night, see what happens. On this team, that you know that uh formula might not be applied
2: raf i would just say with reddish i mean if he plays if we see him play like he played in a very limited sample in the playoffs he may force the issue though i mean this is a guy who does have especially defensively the potential to force his way onto the floor and if that happens he will be fantasy relevant so i last year i was drafting him everywhere this year i feel like i'm Mm -hmm. gonna be like "Ah, i'll just see what happens (laughs) but i i'm a little nervous about that approach raf because i'm i am worried that there is some ceiling for reddish to break through
1: I think if he's available in the final round, I'd do it. But if not, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Just because, I don't know, it's a home run swing, but at that point in the draft, it's not a a bad idea to take one. Uh, I just don't, I wouldn't do it personally. But if someone else wants to do it, grab him in the last round ahead of me and have at it. But I wouldn't lose sleep over if I didn't get him. I'm
0: with you. And Matt, you mentioned that split in the postseason when he shot 53% from the field, but during the regular season, he was 36.5%. So it's just a, a leap of faith as to, you know, do you believe in that development? Is that guy who got red hot from shooting three pointers, I forget how many he had in that one game, but just on fire, is that the guy that we could potentially see, or is he gonna be a liability in field goal percentage? And I mean, he wasn't providing anywhere near 12 team value last year in 27 minutes per game. So also like, what's the upside on the playing time? So I have, it sounds like I have more concerns about him than Matt for sure, but maybe Raf and I are more in the same camp. Yeah. It's not saying (laughs) a lot,
2: I guess. (laughs) Uh, Okay. We move now to the heat. Uh, Steve, who is not here today has 35 year old Kyle Lowry, I believe as a bust in the NBC, in his bust column in the NBC sports draft guide. Now, Speaking of recent fantasy drafts, I've seen Lowry go seventy seventh in one draft and sixty eighth in another draft uh, this past week. I think for me, the case for Lowry being a bust is more about him missing games. He missed twenty six of them, of them last year, than it is about his per game production, even at age thirty five. Where are you on that, Raf?
1: I don't think he's going to be a bust. Now the question is, what are the expectations for him? Like, if you are expecting him to give you like top fifty value. He can do that, but with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo both being suitable playmakers for that team, I think that's going to be difficult. But if you're talking like 60 to 75, I think that's perfectly fine for him. And in the case of Toronto, at a certain point, I think they're just kind of done with the whole thing. Not really like quitting, so to speak, but if they made the playing round, they would have been fine. But if they didn't, they would have been fine with that as well. Obviously, they didn't. They played all 72 games on the road last season, too. So I think that's another factor in terms of how Lowry was used. Yes, he did get hurt, but at a certain point, they weren't going to try to push him any any further than they needed to. So I don't think that's going to be a big concern for him in Miami.
0: I think, yeah, it, it's tricky. So Steve, to give him... Uh, a little more presence in this conversation, since mm-hmm. it was his bust description. He he writes: uh, Lowry's scoring and steals took a dip last season. He'll be learning how to play in a new location with new teammates this year. In the age of load management. Uh, etc. The bottom line is that he's old and not very durable. Make sure you don't reach for him. Now, I think that last sentiment is absolutely accurate. Don't reach for him in the the 40s or 50s thinking about who he used to be. But if, as you said, he's falling to 65 to 80 range, I think that's perfectly reasonable. As Raf said, I think the Raptors rested him a lot last season because they were blatantly tanking down the stretch they didn't care where they were going but in Miami there are some pros for him we know that Lowry's willing to play hurt he still averaged 35 minutes per game last season almost so even a little dip there is not going to be the end of the world uh, per game he's still potent fantasy player he racks up dimes which are not an easy category to find especially in that late middle round area you look at the point guards that are going to be available Kyle Lowry is looking much better uh, plus his first season in Miami on a huge contract with championship expectations. I feel like he's going to be all in. This isn't a season for him to rest uh, in undue amount. So I'm not sh- uh, scared at all. Once we get to 60, 70 range, for sure, I'm taking him every
2: time. I agree. And I think the only thing I would add to that is, you know, his ceiling is not where it was, obviously, in terms of fantasy, I don't think. So just beware. You don't want all your guys in the middle rounds to be guys you're drafting right around what their production is going to be, because then you have a team of just all mid-round guys. So my point is you got to take some guys in the middle round who you think have a chance to majorly outproduce that. I don't think we're talking about Lowry really being that guy. So I would kind of alternate him with some higher upside guys if I'm going to make that pick. I am not. I don't want to take three safe, boring guys in a row in the middle rounds of my draft. A fair point.
1: Let's say the one thing I'd add is make sure he's not your first point guard. If you can get a high-level point guard early, that would be a far more advantageous situation when it comes to Kyle Lowry's fantasy value.
2: Yeah, that's a good point as well. The Washington Wizards are our next team here. A couple questions to look at with this team. First, Ryan, I believe you have projected in the draft guide, do I have this right, that Bradley Beal will lead the league in scoring? And he's been going around the end of round one. Is there a chance, Ryan, that that pick is going to prove to be a bit of a home run for fantasy managers or do you think Beal is like kind of going right where he's going to produce if that makes sense
0: you know I think it's hard to say that there's a ton of home run potential when you're taking a a guy in the first round but I feel like that's his floor to me like how is he going to fall below top 12 I I don't see that at all (laughs) when you consider the fact that he nearly led the league in scoring last year uh, that was alongside Russell Westbrook, of course, who ranked fourth in the NBA in time of possession and third in touches. So, like, as we know, Westbrook is just a usage monster. Uh, he had the ball for eight and a half minutes per game last year. Beal had it for 3.8 minutes. So, really? yes, D- Dinwiddie's going to fill, you know, a lot of those touches and so forth that Westbrook had. But Beal is going to have a much bigger on-ball workload than he had there will be some minuses with that. Maybe it hurts his efficiency a little bit, but I think the volume will be crazy. He's going to get to the free throw line just a ton. Uh, he's very good when he gets there, so I'm I'm all in on Beal. I think he's going to have a, a monster season. He's hungry to win that scoring title and prove that he's the the alpha for the franchise. So uh, yeah, I think if you can get him ten or after, that's that's an easy pick.
1: I think he's going to finish top five player. Um, nice. And the reason why I say that is. You know, you talk about the time of possession, as Ryan mentioned, he's going to have more opportunities to be a playmaker too, not just for himself as a scorer. So could he, can he lead the league in scoring? Without a doubt. But I, I'm looking at those assist numbers and thinking, you know what? I may want to grab him at around five because I'm not sure if he's going to be there at 10. Like if he's there at 10, then you're talking about a borderline steal. But for me personally, if I'm in the top five picks, like four or five or even six, I'm probably going to take him there.
2: So, Raf, are you taking him over, let's say, a Damian Lillard?
1: Ooh. Now, I'm
2: just saying. That's a good
1: question. Because <laughs> I, I guess I would say that I, I, I view them as being closer to equals than they have been in seasons past, just because of the exit of Russell Westbrook and before that, John Wall, too. So I think... Then obviously, like Ryan said, Dinwiddie's going to take up some of that usage, but I don't think it's going to be to the point where Bradley Beal doesn't see a bump in his own numbers.
2: Any closing thought from you there, Ryan?
1: Well,
0: just that Raph, actually, while he was talking, I went into my projection spreadsheet and tweaked Beal's assists because you're right, those are <laughs> going to go up. And I had not i had bumped him up a little bit, but not sufficiently when you consider that he was at below four and a half times last year with westbrook the year prior he was over six and the year before that five and a half so i mean you think he's at least hovering around that six times per game mark uh that's value added so yeah i'm with you i think mid first round but matt you asked this question but i don't feel like you've you've answered it are you are you on board with Beal as like a top eight kind of guy or, or or do you feel like he should be going at the end of that first round
2: no i i think top eight 8ish makes sense. I don't think I also don't think I would if I'm in a draft with Raf and he takes him there, I'm not going to be like, "Whoa, whoa, <laughs> what is Raf doing right now?" Because right. I have so many question marks about some of the guys who are consensus first-round guys. I mean, Kevin Durant makes me super nervous as a first-round pick. We know why. You know, there's a number of guys like that. So, it's a pretty short list of players who have ceiling and that safe floor, you know, Lillard, uh Beal I think you put in that category and I mean I'm I'm not talking about Jokic and Curry because I feel like they're going right at the top but Towns I think I take still take Towns ahead of Beal but yeah I like it a lot I I think that makes sense I probably was a little too low on him coming to this conversation and now I adjust and I'm I'm happy to to be at the end of the first round for that possibility there you go the second Wizards question, there is a blurb on... I, I don't know how we've waited this long to talk about this. There's a blurb on NBC Sports Edge via NBC Sports <laughs> Washington that Wizards GM Tommy Shepard gave a strong indication that Daniel Gafford will be the Wizards' starting center on opening night with Montrez Harrell backing him up. Now, Raf, we do have the looming possibility of Thomas Bryant returning, reportedly, near the end of the calendar year. But, I mean, if that was the case, it would give Gafford a fair amount of time to take off in that role. So... Are you half as excited about this news as I am?
1: Um, yeah. I think first and foremost, it seems like that center rotation has been cleared up. Uh, last year, for whatever reason, the former head coach, Scott Brooks, just insisted mm. on playing three centers. Alex Lynn, Robin Lopez, and uh, Daniel Gafford, once they acquired him from the Bulls. That was a highly frustrating experience for any fantasy manager. Yes, I'd imagine it was a really frustrating experience for Wizards fans as well, but now Lennon Lopez are out of there. You add Harrell, but the thing with Harrell is that he's never been a great defender, so I think that's going to kind of cap his minutes to a certain extent, especially for a franchise that's looking to become a playoff team. Contract year for Bradley Beal, too, so they can't afford to mess around with guys who are going to be liabilities on one end of the floor, so Harrell's going to play, but I don't think he's going to play enough to Nick Gafford from a fantasy standpoint, so trying to think of where I would take Gafford. He might be one of those home run swings towards the end of the top 100, in my opinion, Yeah, just because of what he could potentially do for that team and what he already brings to the table.
0: Yeah. That blurb, I'm sure made your night, Matt. And, uh, (laughs) <laughs> it's it's fantastic news. It bumps up Gafford a ton. Uh, you know, I, I moved his minutes per game to 26, which I feel like Ooh. maybe on the high side. Uh mm. probably is. But, you know, if he gets anything close to that, he's going to be a fantasy stud. So, you know, at 26 minutes per game with a little bit of a boost, he's probably top five in the league in blocks. So you've got that going for you. He's going to rebound the ball well. Uh, and Raph is right. I mean, Montrez Harrell is not, a player who's really designed to get a ton of minutes in today's NBA. He's a great player, great energy guy. He's going to come in and give us all. We know that. But there's almost a little Kenneth Fareed aspect to his game where he's Mm -hmm. all energy and hustle and heart and motor, but doesn't have a jump shot and doesn't, you know, defensively there are flaws. So how does he earn more minutes? I don't see it. And then Bryant is a huge question mark key detail here about his timetable the past two updates we've had claiming that he might return at the beginning of the regular season and towards the end of the calendar year both from his agent so essentially meaningless when when an agent gives some optimistic quote to a beat writer you know take it with a massive grain of salt uh even when he comes back he'll probably be somewhat limited etc so yeah gafford is spiking on all draft boards and rightfully so
2: were you referring to 2021 Summer League star Kenneth Fareed there, Ryan? Didn't <laughs> the, was he on the Blazers <laughs> team with, with Michael Beasley? Yeah, didn't Fareed play yes. Summer League? Yeah. So if we're talking about Gafford, anywhere in the ballpark of 26 minutes, even a little lower, just to remind everyone, per 36 minutes last year with the Wizards, he averaged 20.6 points, 11.3 rebounds, 1.3 steals, 3.6 blocks. And I'm, I'm actually, this news came out, I'm in the middle of, of a slow, very slow draft that's taking multiple days. And I'm about—it's about eight picks away from me, around—six picks away from me, around pick 100. And I am getting ready to take Gafford, just hoping no one else has, uh, has read that news. So, tense moments here. That would be a coup okay the Charlotte Hornets are next we've already talked about this team in some detail this offseason, so let's just focus in on a couple players here quickly first we go to LaMelo Ball Ryan you had a couple LaMelo Ball points you wanted to bring up so I'm going to send this way your I'm going to send this your way first to set this up I think one was a dynasty draft situation and one was about season long so why don't you be the host here for this moment and Raf and I will, will chime in. <laughs> Um, sure. So, uh, on the first
0: hand, yes, I did a dynasty draft for which is in the Sports Edge draft guide. You can check that out. Um, Steve would be very pleased with the number one pick in that draft. Hint, hint. Uh, but no, at number eight, I selected Lamelo Ball and Chris Boucher. <laughs> it was Luca, and uh, I, I, you know, I was thrilled to get Lamelo. I thought he would be gone by then. And Jonas pointed out that he was the first player in NBA history to have the numbers that he achieved in. Points, rebounds, assists, and steals as a rookie. Mm-hmm. You know, up, upside written all over him. So, me taking him number eight overall, I guess my question is, does that make you bat an eye? Like, is, do you have any qualms about that at all? Or in a dynasty league, are you like,
1: uh, of course? That's a steal. In a dynasty league, you get him outside of the top five. That's a steal, in my opinion. That's what I thought. Just because <laughs> of what he showed last season. And then you move Devontae Graham out of the picture. He's going to have the ball in his hands even more. You get Gordon Hayward back healthy. You add Kelly Oubre. Um, You've got more weapons to work with now. And the center position is actually viable with the addition of Mason Plumlee. So I think that's going to help his assist numbers. His scoring, I think he'll become a better scorer in time. He can give you some rebounding. He can give you steals, too. I think with that wingspan that he has, you can bet on him giving you a little bit of production there, too. So... There's no excuse for him getting outside of the top five. I just hope I wasn't in that dynasty mock that that you're referring to because, (laughs) (laughs) or if I was, I was after eight, I would hope. That was the case. All right,
0: cool. Yes. In, in fact, you picked 13th, and you picked Bradley Beal. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I, I will also add that whoever picked before me at number seven took Steph Curry, who was 13 years older in a dynasty league. So makes absolutely no sense. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, another question someone asked on Twitter was... Uh, would you take donovan mitchell or lamello in a nine cat roto league so you know lamello had three turnovers per game that might go up this season but is that enough for you to put him below donovan mitchell in a nine cat roto format i said
2: no meaning i would take Lamelo. i think i would take lamello too i mean i guess roto gives you a tiny bit of pause but i just think he's already a more valuable fantasy player than donovan mitchell i mean donovan mitchell just is fine, but doesn't get enough steals, for example. I mean, LaMelo is a steals machine. So the edge there and the likely edge in assists, where is Donovan Mitchell projected as that much better than LaMelo is my question,
1: Raph, right? Yeah, in real life maybe, but like sure, fantasy, sure fantasy. especially in a roto. But yeah, I'm taking LaMelo as well just because I don't think what Donovan gives you in scoring compared to LaMelo can make up the difference in those other categories. So yeah, yeah I'd go ball as well. Especially yeah, since
0: they're both a liability in field goal percentage, but Mitchell mm-hmm. took seven more shots per game last year, so
2: yeah, yeah I'm with, okay, seems like an open shut case, everyone loves LaMelo, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wanted to ask you guys about another one more Charlotte Hornet before we move on to the Magic, and that guy is Miles Bridges. Um, he was really good during the latter part of last season. Granted, Gordon Hayward was hurt. So I don't want to discount that factor playing into this. But just a reminder of the numbers Bridges put up basically for a quarter of a season down the stretch, his last 19 games. He was at 20.3 points per game, 6.8 rebounds, 2.8 dimes, 0.8 steals, 0.9 blocks, 3.13s with fantastic percentages, 51.6 from the field. 83.3 from the line, low turnovers. I've seen Bridges going in the 90s in some recent drafts. I took him, I think, at 90 in one draft. And this ties into something for me because I was saying to raff off off Mike before he started, I get to the 90s and 100s, and I, I am not quite sure what to do yet in all my drafts. So trying to figure out that equation, the guys that I'm really targeting late, I want to get your opinions on Bridges as a guy around the 90, 100 range. Raf, you first.
1: I think that's fair, but the thing is that rotation's deeper than it was last season. It is. You, you mentioned the Gordon Hayward return. Uh, that's going to be a big factor. Oubre, we talked, you mentioned earlier. And I think P.J. Washington's going to spend more time at the 4th and at the 5th. Yeah. I know they've tried to use him as a mismatch guy, but I don't think a team that has playoff ambitions can get away with doing that for long stretches of time. So... I think Washington's ended up seeing the majority of his minutes at the four when you add in Mason Plumlee. So I wouldn't have a problem with someone taking Bridges in that 90 to 100 area, but I would temper the expectations in terms of his actual production.
0: Yeah, that you know, that to me, first of all, I have a... Uh... I still have lingering, I wouldn't say resentment, but I had Bridges on, in a <laughs> lot of leagues last year. And he did very, very little for me through most of the yeah. season until he went on that hot stretch. And at that point, I think in like half of the leagues, I had traded him or moved on in some way. Uh, so I missed out on on the, the glory days last season. But I, I'm with Raf. I mean, I think it's such a competitive roster for minutes, you know, top to bottom really. And even if the playing time is there, I can see him getting to 28-29 minutes like he did last year, but the usage isn't going to improve. He was at 17% last season. So even though he's extremely efficient, I just don't see him as a high volume guy. Uh maybe even less so this season. So taking him at 90-100 is a safe move, but I don't see the ceiling. So kind of going back, you know, a very different case to what you said about Kyle Lowry, but I'd rather try to find someone who I think might you know, hit a groove and erupt as a top 50 guy. Maybe you think Bridges is that guy. Like, do you see a path to that, Matt? Or or are you comfortable with just taking a guy who, eh, he's a safe, you know, top 75-ish type player?
2: I don't really think of... I I kind of think of that as his floor. And I think think maybe what I'm telling myself so I can sleep at night is that (laughs) what we saw last year was a guy who is figuring it out in a big way and might be too good to keep off the floor this year mm. because that a smart team would have noticed that wow 52 from the field 44 on three 83 from the line that is rare air if, if a guy can actually do that for a long stretch so to me it's a high draft pick who starting to put it together and I do worry about how crowded their rotation is but again it's also not like Gordon Hayward has been the most durable guy either so that maybe is his best path to, from going from like floor to ceiling and I do think that the floor this year should be higher than what it was last year when he was frustrating for a lot of the year. That's what I'm telling myself. I don't know if it's right.
0: <laughs> so that you can sleep at night. This, this this is really, really deep in your psyche. Well, it's a compelling argument. I may I may need to rethink Bridges' ceiling. It's just the the crowded rotation is so
2: tough for me. I know, but that's the only reason you could you can get him there. Right. That's accurate. He would be an extremely mm-hmm. popular. So. And maybe that reason is enough to crush his value. I don't know. We're going to find out. But I do think it's kind of a fun swing to take. And and maybe, sure. uh, I don't know. It may, it may be not wise, but we'll find out. The last team I want to talk about with the last team in the division is the Orlando Magic. Um, we're going to focus on their front court. Two different situations here. So we'll start with the centers. Ryan, you took Mobamba with pick 100 in a recent draft. Jared conducted for the draft guide. Raf are you on board with Bamba around there?
1: Yeah, I, I think he would fit the, the mold of a home run swing, so to speak, because of his medical history. Quick note, I did a salary cap mock yesterday. Wendell Carter Jr. went somehow for $17. And okay. I got Mo Bamba for three. Wow. Now, <laughs> if anyone out there listening or watching is going to be doing an actual salary cap league, don't ever do that. All right. That, so <laughs> I'm going to say that. But um, yeah, of the two, I feel like Carter may have a slightly higher floor, uh-huh. but neither one of them is a player that I'd fully commit to. So I'm looking at them from a ceiling standpoint and I go Bamba all the way just because of what he could potentially give you. That being said, you do, you're kind of setting yourself up for disappointment, giving the, uh, the production They're both on contract years, if I'm not mistaken. So that's going to be a pretty fun battle to watch in training camp. But I go Bamba personally.
0: Over WCJ, yeah, easily for me. I mean, I've said before, last season was really a moment when Carter Jr. had an opportunity to step into a bigger role, diversify his game. It didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's that player. He's a very solid rotational piece, right? He's a guy who's going to contribute. He's still getting better. He's very young. Um, But... I mean, particularly for fantasy, I just do not see the ceiling anymore. Uh, You know, double-doubles here and there, sure, but well-rounded, consistent statistical contributions. I don't see it. Whereas Mo Bamba, you look at his per 36-minute splits, and he's in that very rarefied group of players like Robert Williams and Gafford and so forth, who you go, you know, typically big men, who you look at and go, wow, all they need is, you know, the, the secret sauce is playing time. So let's, well, and health in Bamba's case. Uh, so not even a question from, me. I mean, Carter Jr., I don't even think I have in my top 200. I'm just off him. Maybe I'm too low, uh,
2: giving too much credit to Bamba and so forth, but
0: I, I just don't see it.
2: The thing with Bomba is you mentioned those per 36 minute numbers, and I'll say them now 18.2 points per game, 13.2 rebounds, 0.7 steals, 2.9 blocks. You also add in 1.9 threes, which Gafford and the Time Lord do not have in their arsenal right now. So it's almost like he's got the highest ceiling of the three of those guys. And could I don't know, would you guys take Bomba or Gafford first right now? Let's say you're sitting around pick 100, which is what we're talking about. Who are you taking first? I'll go first and say Gafford, especially now that the Wizards GM
0: has basically handed him the starting job.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Just because, of, as Ryan said, we pretty much know he's going to be the starting center opening night. We don't know that with Bamba right now. So, yeah, I'd go Gafford for sure.
2: Okay. I was just I was mainly asking for the draft that I'm in right now uh, where I have a pick coming <laughs> up. So still keeping fingers crossed for Gafford to be there. Uh, the one other front court situation I want to talk about is – Jonathan Isaac and Chuma Okiki at power forward. Ryan, you actually took both of those guys in that same mock draft, I believe. If I'm looking at this correctly, you you got Isaac in round seven, and then you came back and took Okiki seven rounds later in round 14. Some people don't want to use two roster spots on one position, but in this case, I think I actually like it, given the uncertainty. So how do you look at this situation, Ryan, with Isaac coming off that ACL tear? Okiki had some nice late season production. What's your angle on this?
0: It, it's really, ju- I mean, the the Okiki pick was more, right, a safety play, kind of just in case Isaac goes out, at least you collect some of that value uh, while he's on the IR. Isaac, one of the ultimate risk-reward swings, right? And if you can get him, I wish I had his ADP pulled up, but I'm assuming it's in like the low 60s or 50s, maybe even, uh, you know, and we know what his fantasy ceiling is. He can rack up defensive stats in a hurry. In particular, you know, win you a couple hard-to-win categories right off the bat. And the best is yet to come if he can stay healthy. So, huge risk-reward, as I said. Uh, Okiki, I'm not even completely sold on. He's a v- very good. We saw what he can do last year. And I think that minutes will be there. Isaac coming back, how much does that impact impact him? I don't know. So, this was more just a, let's see what happens. You know, package them together and hopefully it breaks my way. But honestly, I'm not super confident in that to the point that I want to go espousing it as like a strategy to go pair these guys. Uh, There's definite downside.
1: Yeah, I'm not really sold on Okiki as a fantasy option right now. Even with Isaac not having a timeline for return. Because while Okiki had his moments, I don't think that roster is really geared towards him being a standout fantasy guy. Just because Mm -hmm. of the many questions that there are in that roster. You're going to be playing with two guards that are extremely young, a rookie in Jalen Suggs and a second-year guy in Cole Anthony. They still don't know when Markel Fultz will be back. You know, the center position we touched on. I think there's the uncertainty around O'Keefe is going to impact him in terms of fancy value. That's why I wouldn't touch him. But if someone were to go and grab him after grabbing Isaac in the middle rounds, that I understand. Like Ryan said, that's not a strategy that you're going to put down on your paper before you go into a draft and say, I have to do this.
0: I'm not totally like the one argument for him. And he was really good down the stretch last year is that I'll say as a starter last season in 19 starts, he only averaged 30 minutes per game. So reasonable. He's not quite going to get there this year, probably, but he averaged 12 points. Uh, one and a half threes, almost five boards, almost three assists, 1.5 steals, and 0.7 yep. blocks. So that's that kind of permanent across the board. And that was with bad percentages, granted. But if he can work out his jump shot and becomes you know, a 44 even percent shooter and can hit a couple more threes with that steals potential and the blocks are coming up and he can get some dimes along the way, suddenly you're looking at a very productive fantasy player. So that's why I'm like, well... Towards the end of the draft, round 14 or whatever, there are worse gambles out there, especially if you have Isaac on your roster. So now I'm coming back and defending it. I
2: said I wasn't going to do this. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I noted that same production down the stretch for Okiki. I think it's only a question of playing time for him. And I do think that's a very valid question to have. And, and we haven't even mentioned RJ Hampton, who reportedly, mm-hmm. I think, is now grown to six foot six and says he can play small forward. So that's right. He. He is in that mix of, of young guys as well that they're going to have to prioritize. So it's it's a tricky one, this, this Orlando rotation. Ryan, you look like you had a comment there.
0: Well, yes. Uh, I mean, never mind. It, you said it. The playing time is is the real issue, and they've got enough young guys that they have to kind of juggle that it could get tricky, especially because Franz Wagner, I don't think we mentioned, and you would think that he's yeah. definitely going to get minutes too, and he's right in that, oh, right. Same, that same conversation. So I, I wanted to at least mention his name as a threat.
2: No, you're absolutely right. Franz Wagner is a guy I totally forget about who I he could easily be a fantasy contributor. This this Orlando rotation is is going to be crazy because they have a Sneaky. ton of guys that are first-round guys, high first-round picks that they have to find playing time for. Mm-hmm. But a pretty fun team if I was a Magic fan just oh, yeah. real life basketball. I I would be excited about my probably bad team because I think that this is a good kind of bad team, right? Because they have all these young pieces and you're going to get to see them hopefully get good. So I'm into it.
0: Yeah. And the the magic don't have to rush Markel Fultz back because they have Cole Anthony and Suggs now and so it's going to yeah, it's going to be exciting and I'm I'm drafting Suggs consistently. I know we're not talking backcourt right now, but I'm I'm pretty high on him since his name did come up earlier.
2: No, I like that too. That's another guy as I talk about the mystery of what to do and when you get to the 90-110 range, that's another good name to keep in mind. Yeah, he looks ready to go. All right. That is going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen, take a second to rate and review us as well. well. We'll be back on Monday and Friday next week. And next Friday, we'll be on to previewing the Western Conference division by division leading up to the regular season. Thanks everyone for listening on the podcast and watching live on YouTube. Ryan, Raf, thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Matt. Thanks.
1: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So